Hi, everybody, and welcome into the Track Kitchen. I'm Jeff Pecora. We're going to be talking horse racing, bourbon, and UK sports on this show. Boy, why would you go anywhere else? I've got some stable mates with me today. Joe Claves and Jim Perry are also on the show. And today we've got a very special guest we're going to be talking to. This is taking over the country, at least the thoroughbred industry. Patrick Neely is joining us. He is the Chief Business Development Officer for Xacta Systems, and basically it's historic horse racing. So a lot to talk about with this because I'm very interested in this because you, know, you only have uh, gambling, and I say that with air quotes, in so many states. Kentucky, not one of those that has opened yet to that, but they are open to HHR. So let's bring Patrick in. And Patrick, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Why don't you let's start out by saying what is the difference between what you're doing and what gambling basically is? Because this is considered paramutual wagering, correct? Sure. Yep. Yeah. And that's the main distinction really is that it is a paramutual wager on the outcome of a horse race. Um, and if you've been to the, the Red Mile facility, if you've been to Kentucky Downs and have played historic horse racing, you're, you're familiar with the concept. Uh, it is dressed up to look like a more traditional electronic gaming device. Um, but fundamentally, it is a, a pair mutual wager on the outcome of a horse race. So th this is what allows us to go into racing jurisdictions where, as you say, quote unquote, gambling is illegal. Uh, but paramutual betting on horse racing is legal. You know, it's it's absolutely amazing to me how you guys have taken off. You guys were just founded in 2013, and in 2018, wagered over a billion dollars. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's a real success story. Um, historic horse racing, I think, last year. Uh, did over uh, two billion dollars in total handle. So altogether. Uh, bets on historic horse racing represent maybe 15 or 20% of all wagers placed on uh, horse racing all over the country. That's live simulcasts and everything else. So it's clearly, uh, it is clearly a fast growing uh, part of the industry. I, doubt, I guess we should tell everybody when, when you go down and, and just tell them how it works because you, you have a, a regular machine, it looks like, but then there's also the component where there's a race and you pick and you get odds on whatever you bet, just like you would go up to a window at Keeneland or wherever else you're betting at, correct? That, yeah, that's right. It works. Uh, it's very similar to uh, the wagers that you're used to when you go to a, a racetrack, bet on a live race or a simulcast race. Um, you are playing against everybody else. That's what makes it paramutual. So your wager is placed into a paramutual pool and the track operator takes their uh, commission, their takeout is what it's called. And the rest of the money that's bet into the paramutual pool is dispersed to the players. And uh, you as a handicapper can make handicapping decisions. So uh, as you say, you're given uh, information, handicapping statistics. Obviously, the identifying information is removed until after you've placed your wager. So you can't tell what race you're betting on. Um, but you can look at statistics and order the horses uh, as you see fit. And if you're a good handicapper, then you're going to win more of the paramutual, paramutual pool. And if you're a bad handicapper like Jim Perry, uh, you're going you're gonna to win less of the paramutual pool. And that's just the way that it works in live and simulcast. And it's the exact same in historic horse racing. 
You're exactly right. Well, let's go one step further with this because you said, you know, obviously you get your cut being the, the person that's playing the game. But why this is so significant in a state like Kentucky is because obviously a portion goes into the purses, a portion, a portion bet goes back to the track. And then also, and this is very important for the people to know, taxes are taken out as well. So give me the breakdown of that and why that's so important in a state like Kentucky. Yeah, and it, it's working uh, again in, in Kentucky and other places like Wyoming and Virginia. So Kentucky taxes uh, every paramutual wager at one and a half percent. So uh, if you put a dollar into a paramutual pool, um, you know a, a, a penny and a half comes right off the top as as tax. And in Kentucky, uh, a large percentage of that tax goes back into the uh, into the purse pool uh, into the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund. Uh, there are other carves off, carve offs, uh, industry specific, uh, that, that money goes to. Um, and then as, as I said, the operator takes their takeout of the paramutual pool too. And they put a lot of that money back into purses as well. So, uh, it, it has been dramatic what historic horse racing has done for purses and the breeders incentive fund in Kentucky. Um, you, you look at a, a place like Kentucky Downs, I mean, record purses down there, Ellis Park, uh, record purses the last couple years. Um, you, you have Turfway Park uh, was just purchased by Churchill Downs and uh, they're doing a complete renovation. Uh, so we'll have a brand new facility up at Turfway. So this has done, uh, it's done wonders to revitalize uh, the Kentucky year-round racing circuit and to increase purses significantly. Patrick, I would I would believe that for you guys at Exact Assistance, we're talking to Patrick Neely, the Chief Business Development Officer there at Exact Assistance, that you use Kentucky Downs as, I, I would think, as your, your shining knight in armor, so to speak, because it has completely changed what that track can do. That one week of racing they have, is spectacular people from uh, trainers owners jockeys from all over the country come into kentucky downs because of what they're doing with your machines and putting it back into the purse structure that they have for that spectacular week of racing it's it's really true and yeah if your listeners haven't uh haven't been down there and enjoyed uh racing at kentucky downs i certainly encouraging encourage them to do that it is uh, it, it is such a festive atmosphere down there. And really, it's been the purses that have driven it. Um, because as you say, you've got top flight horses shipping in from all over the country in some places and sometimes all over the world uh, to, to race at Kentucky Downs. And so uh, huge crowds. Um, it just, it's made the live racing so exciting. So as you say, HHR has really been the catalyst uh, to, for Kentucky Downs to grow into what it is today. And it's working in other places too. Virginia, um, Colonial Downs, as you know, uh, was closed for several years and live racing in Virginia had ended. Um, but we went in, we got a bill passed in Virginia. Um, we went into Colonial Downs and uh, they had a great first live meet last summer. They're going to have another one this year. And so again, this success story is repeating itself in other places. And uh, in terms of the industry, it's just it's so significant at this point. Patrick, uh, I'd like to footnote here, since you're talking about colonial doubts, um, you know, as we've seen the pandemic shut down a lot of businesses and, walk, and um, uh, industries throughout the United States, uh, I think that you are opening, um, is it 8,000 terminals in Virgi West Virginia or Virginia? Uh, and you're, they're taking locations of off-track 
places like Walmart, they're filling those with a, uh, uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Is that correct? Yeah. So in Virginia, um, the, we, we got an, a new piece of legislation passed that allows us to put up to 5,000 HHR terminals throughout the state. And so Colonial Downs, we have 700 machines at the track itself, but then Colonial Downs, the entity Colonial Downs, uh, is allowed to operate OTB locations throughout Virginia. And at those OTB locations, we can put in uh, several hundred machines. So as you say, uh, in one uh, place in Chesapeake, they're looking at converting an old Sears building into an OTB location with HHR. So uh, again, it's, it's expanding rapidly in Virginia and um, the racing and breeding industry in Virginia have been completely uh, reimagined and reinvigorated thanks to, thanks to HHR. What are the goals that you guys might have for the future? Do, do you expect to expand into more areas than just the three states? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's what I spend most of my time doing is, is traveling to these states and explaining what HHR is first and really just telling uh, about, you know, the, really sharing the success story of what HHR has done in these places and places like Wyoming um, and Virginia and Kentucky and Arkansas. Uh, so yes, we're active in several states, and a lot of states are, are working down the path of new legislation, Michigan being one, uh, New Hampshire being another. So yeah, our, our goal is to bring HHR to as many racing jurisdictions as we possibly can. Yeah, uh, Patrick, uh, Joe Claves here. I, uh, I hope you don't mind if I, if I take a moment to brag on you here. Uh, I mean, what, what you were such an early... Uh, a pioneer in this effort in Kentucky. Granted, the, the idea of historical horse racing uh, came originally from Arkansas, but uh, due to your efforts back when really many in the industry weren't even behind the idea, uh, and they've certainly come to uh, realize the, the potential now, but without your leadership early on and, and, a, and a handful of others, we put Corey Johnson in there, I'll, I'll allow you to name some other names too, but that were involved in that, but the difference you made in Kentucky is, is uh, undeniable. Uh, what you've provided, uh, the path to, that you provided for Virginia, it, it can't be overstated. So I just say thank you very much. And as someone that later took over as head of keep, I uh, uh, you know, tried to carry the ball that you had, had, had uh, advanced greatly for us. And, and, but without your, your early efforts, there just wouldn't have been anything uh, to, to, to move forward. So thank you. Well, I, I appreciate those kind words. Um, as always, it was a huge team effort and a lot of people were involved. Uh, obviously, Go Governor Brereton Jones, uh, Joe, your father uh, was there on the front lines as well. Uh, a lot of people uh, were working to get this done. I was just, uh, I was one, one part of the team, but I look back now and what, we're, what we were able to accomplish and really what has grown out of it. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly a proud, uh, it's a proud accomplishment, I think, for all of us. Um, so I appreciate those words, Joe. Thanks. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Jeff, to, to use a football analogy there, uh, it, 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 you, you do great things with a great team, but you, you got to have a good quarterback. I think you'd agree with me, right? And Patrick certainly served that role. Well, you have to have, you know, that point person that believes in, in you know, what the product is. And, and obviously Patrick does, and you've done a great job. Patrick, I guess my biggest question to this is, what are the obstacles that you're seeing in other states? Why would a state be reluctant to add something like this to their roster? Because to me, it's just it's just a, a money earner, and it, and, it, and it solves 
a lot of problems in a lot of states. It does. Or at least it helps. It does. It, it, and, uh, you know, the good news is that I think the racing industry, the breeding industry, have they've really seen how successful this has been. And they are supportive 100% in all of these states. Um, most of the obstacles that we run into, honestly, are from outside the racing industry. It's either... Uh, um, casinos are already in the state. They don't want increased competition. Um, in some cases, if casinos are just across the border, like in New Hampshire, uh, there's a, you know, the casino in Boston, uh, don't want historic horse racing to come to New Hampshire because they don't want the competition. They want people in New Hampshire to continue to drive to Boston. So it's typically those type of obstacles that we're running into. Um, but from you know the industry standpoint, the racing and breeding industry, uh, we are united, I think, as we've never been uh, in all of these places. And so we just continue moving the ball down the field in all of these places. And I think eventually the story is too good to ignore. And legislators, um, are, they can't ignore what it does for job creation for the industry. And also, as you mentioned before, for tax revenue for the state. And so, uh, again, we think that we are... We've clearly got momentum in a lot of places, and that's why we think we're going to continue to expand as we move forward. And, and one of the key advantages, Joe Klaibs here again, uh, you know, it, it's rare when you see any, a, a gaming uh, 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 product that directly supports an agribusiness the way this does thoroughbred breeding and, and standard bread breeding for that matter. Uh, so, it, you know, it has such a ripple effect in the economy that goes far beyond just gaming dollars. Yeah, that's exactly right. And Joe know, knows it well um, as a former executive director of Chief, that you know, when, when we're, in, we're in these jurisdictions, we're talking about the impact that the horse racing industry has and the, and the breeding industry has on the entire state. And as you say, this is a job creator, not just around the racetrack, but in rural economies as well. Um, and so I, you get, as you say, or rural legislators who are interested in supporting an industry that supports their uh, constituents. And so we're able to take that message uh, to rural legislators in Michigan, for example, uh, as well as uh, metro legislators on the racetracks themselves. Patrick, with the uh, opening of Turfway here in the, in the very near future, with their new uh, facility right there off of I-75. Do you, what do you, do you guys have expectations that that might be um, even bigger than the Red Mile down in Lexington? You know, I I, I don't I don't know. Um, I think it certainly has that potential. Um, and obviously, Northern Kentucky uh, is a fast expanding market. Uh, so I think it has that potential, and, and it's exciting. It's exciting that Turfway is going to have a new face, um, a new building, and higher purses. And so, uh, again, I think Turfway has, uh, it has the potential to be just really a spectacular new facility up there. Patrick, in 2013, when you guys started uh, this, did, did you believe or did you even have the wildest dreams that it could build this quickly to where it has and where do you think the future is for this? I, I think that we believe that it could get there eventually. Um, and we believe that with a kind of a new HR product, which is why we started the company in the first place to kind of improve on what was already existing. We thought that it had the potential, but I, I will tell you that I think we are all surprised at the speed um, at, at how quickly 
the industry has uh, rallied behind this concept and how much uh, it's done in terms of generating money for purses and breeders incentives. So uh, I think that, you know, when, when we envisioned it, uh, we thought we were going to get there, but not this quickly. It has been a very pleasant surprise that it's happened so fast. You know, I can speak, Patrick, Jim Perry here. Uh, I can speak that f from the horseman's barn side of it, you know, a lot of, we touched on this in another interview, a lot of the purse increases are, are horses are now being raised for profit and not so much for future breeding incentives and, bre and breeding uh, values of them. There's uh, when you go to the box at a, uh, a claiming race in Churchill, uh, Ellis Park, elsewhere, uh, you may have five trainers trying to shake for the same horse. Uh, you know, there's the the income that you you've gone from thirty to forty to fifty thousand dollars to eighty to ninety thousand dollar purse structures on maiden special races are uh, have changed it. I don't think the industry still is grasping how it happened. It's just happened. And, you know, the, uh, the trainers and the breeders are certainly recognizing it. And I, I think that I know we've got plans down the road to, to increase this and, and your all's uh, development. Uh, I, I personally do know the, the team that's behind you and know their dedication. Uh, you know, for the, for the lack of my handicapping skills, uh, I do think that you're probably <laughs> one of the worst uh, 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 wave surfers I've ever met in uh, my future. I almost had to pull you out of the hospital once in Barbados. Uh, that is true. That is true, Jim. <laughs> but yeah, Patrick's been uh, fortunate to come down and spend some time with Mr. Ramsey and myself down in uh, uh, Barbados for the uh, Gold Cup. And, you know, we've had some good times and uh, always look forward to the future ones. Yeah, had a had a na bit of a nasty uh, wakeboarding injury down there but regardless um you know barbados is a good story and it's uh you know it's it's part of what we're doing we're not limited just to the united states uh we've been throughout the caribbean and europe uh and south america uh talking to racing jurisdictions there as well about hhr so we don't view this as strictly uh you know north american based uh, our, our plan and objective is to bring this uh internationally and and throughout uh racing jurisdictions throughout the world well, you know, Patrick, that was going to be my next question. There's no reason why that couldn't go internationally. Uh, you know, it, it would assume, especially in places like Japan and, and, and over in Europe, where they simply love the horse racing and yes. also love to uh, put a few nickels through the uh, windows, that it would yep. seem to be a, a slam dunk over there. Absolutely. Uh, and, and again, um, so we have always thought that uh, an international business made sense. Um, you know, it's it's slower, I would say, than we anticipated. Um, a, a lot of different regulatory procedures to go through in this country. Uh, in, in those countries, um, you know, we've been working with uh, some entities in Europe for the last couple of years and, uh, you know, a lot more regulation and bureaucracy to go through. Um, so I agree with you. Uh, they understand what, what we've done and the story sells um, in France just like it does in Michigan. Um, but again, I think it's going to take us a little while longer to get there, but uh, we're going to get there. And I think that, yeah, in the next 10 years, you're going to travel to Asia and Europe and see historic horse racing terminals when you go to the racetrack. I think not only for the purse structure, 
that uh, a lot of people don't take consideration, and let's use King on an example, what it costs them on a monthly annual basis to keep that facility alive. And you look at the limited amount of racing dates that they have, and this has derived an income for a track to assume a lot of that uh, bottom line uh, red dollar that it takes to keep a place mowed and operations going. Now, yeah, Keelan does have their sales, which is another additional income, but not a lot of racetracks do. Kentucky Downs, uh, you know, uh, Ellis Park, uh, a lot of these places, you know, don't have an income, and it's it's helped their facilities to keep uh, a staff and an income coming in during the off-racing season. That's exactly right. Well, I think this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with simulcasting as well, doesn't it? It's just a, another opportunity while you're there. It does. That's, that's exactly right. And it allows, uh, it allows operators to kind of cross-market, right? So your diehard horse players are going to come in and, uh, and you're going to be simulcast better. Yeah, it gives them an option between races uh, or if they want to bring members of their family who might not be simulcast players, but they want to play uh, you know, something akin to a more traditional electronic device. So yeah, it just brings more people to the racetrack. And really that's been, you know, the objective since day one is how do we get more fans into the racetrack? How do we get more people interested in horse racing? And, uh, and HHR is doing that. Patrick, I'll questions? ask you what, one other question uh, I had. And we had, uh, we had one of the Kentucky uh, uh, congressmen on, uh, Adam Crowling. Uh, he uh, was uh, were, has forwarded the bill to have uh, sports wagering brought into the racetracks. And what's, uh, you and I have discussed this in the past, what's yep. your opinion on bringing sports wagering along with uh, the historical horse racing terminals in which we have? Yeah, well, again, uh, we're generally supportive. Um, if the racetracks are able to offer sports wagering, uh, again, our view is that it, that's one more thing that brings people into a racetrack. Um, and if they're there to bet on sports, uh, they're going to have a chance to also bet on a simulcast race or potentially a live race or a historic horse racing terminal. So again, we, we view this as a positive for the industry, as long as it's driving traffic uh, to the racetracks, to our sport. And so if, if that's the way that it's set up, then we, we're a hundred percent. Well, I'd like to thank obviously Patrick Neely for joining us here. And, and again, boy, what a fantastic product you're putting out there at Exact Assistance with historic horse racing. And hopefully it continues to grow. It's been a boon for the industry. And let's hope that it can help more and more tracks across not only the country, but internationally. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining us today on the Track Kitchen. Yep. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. So long from Lexington, Kentucky, and our Track Kitchen. <laughs>